welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast with your hosts Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. The ultimate insider's guide from signing day to the national championship game and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. And welcome back, yes, to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Uh, loaded loaded episode for you Barton we uh, we we just uh, sort of spun around the uh, the entire country uh, we just racked up some frequent flyer miles through uh, through the interview airways listen we are we are no longer uh, a southeastern focused show after today national we baby here all over the map I don't I think we got a bad rap for that uh, but yeah this was um, yeah, we were able to get a lot of voices in there, which is fun. All right, so here's the deal. We've got first for you, Ryan Abraham, USC, uscfootball.com, Scout Extraordinaire, the Parasol Podcast, uh, at Inside Troy on Twitter. Ryan has been covering USC forever. He got in some good jabs at us about the uh, the whole USC, SEC bias. They're so sensitive out there. They're so you know, sensitive. So sensitive. <laughs> <laughs> um, then what we will be taking it, coincidentally enough, we'll be moving from USC to the SEC, but we will be talking to the great Brandon Marcello, uh, Auburn undercover, Auburn 24-7 sports writer. Um, he's got – we've got a preview. Obviously, the, the hook here, USC, Stanford, um, Auburn, Clemson, two great previews right there. And then we will wrap it up uh, with Michael Roberts, former uh, long, like former sports book director out in Las Vegas – now he covers it for the Sportsline. He gives out his picks for Sportsline for your, if you're a subscriber. So make sure you go to Sportsline.com. Uh, he's got some. Oh, what do you think? What do you think was? Uh, I liked when he when he was able to talk about the power ratings. Um, you know the adjustments that have been made. Like it's not often we all talk about you know whether we like one side or the other. But he's a by the numbers guy, right? Yeah, I, I was. I enjoyed. Um, you know, he gave us a a pick that he really liked late in the show. He gave us, uh, you know, a reason why Penn State may still be a good a good value play. Um, you know, I, I like just seeing it from their perspective out there because they look at things a little different way. Yeah, just a little bit. Um, we've got a uh, a one big game before we get. To, we're gonna go through our picks with Tom Fernelli coming up on Thursday's show. Uh, Oklahoma State. 28-point favorite at South Alabama. Barton, are you going to roll with the Cowboys here? Uh, Oklahoma State feels like one of those teams that I'm someone they, they got to prove me wrong before I start picking against them. I, I made that mistake once against Tulsa. They look too good not to go against again. I mean, if, if Ole Miss can, can beat South Alabama by 20, I, I got to think Oklahoma State can do the same thing, even if it is in Mobile. So uh, I, I feel okay taking the Cowboys I'm with you I I'm going to take the Cowboys here too and I'm going to wait until Vegas catches up because this is they're going to be able to score on anybody um all right enjoy Ryan Abraham first Brandon Marcello second Michael Roberts uh taking us home from sportsline.com uh first talking USC and now my pleasure to welcome to the 24 7 sports college football podcast Ryan Abraham uscfootball.com Inside Troy on Twitter, long time, finger on the pulse, got USC down, and we did confirm, yep, let me check my sheets here. Yes, Ryan, you do cover Southern California, not South Carolina, right? It is, it's that USC. Yes, the West Coast version of USC. When you guys called me, I wasn't sure if you were confused a little bit. I'm not a Gamecocks guy. I covered the Trojans, but I'm glad. Yeah, we can talk some West Coast football. It's good. Also, uh, the host of the Peristyle podcast. Uh, let's, I mean, can can we start with, uh, are, are you feeling that the rest of the country is having a little bit of an overreaction? And how do you diagnose uh, the slow start against Western Michigan this past weekend? Yeah, you know what? USC is one of those blue blood programs. So the hype train is really easy to get rolling. It's going downhill. Any any kind of sign of life, people are like, USC's back. So that might have been a little bit of an overreaction. I think ranked in the top you know, 10, top eight is probably about where this team should be. Uh, I really feel like Western Michigan is a good team. We'll see. You know, they're going to play on the road at Michigan State this weekend. But 
Uh, I know they lost P.J. Fleck, but they still had that blue-collar mentality that he instilled there. So I feel like this is going to be a pretty good Michigan, uh, I mean, Western Michigan team. You know, we'll see again like this weekend. USC, some of the problems I thought could be there with the young receivers and maybe some of the defensive front stuff that, you know, we saw some issues there. I think we'll know a lot more on uh, when they play Stanford this weekend. But I feel they're kind of about in the right spot. Maybe they weren't going to be, you know, sure, you know, pure playoff team kind of coming out of the gate. But in that kind of top 10, top eight sort of rankings, and if they're able to beat a, a Stanford and a Texas and start off this road, you know, this home stretch, 3-0, and then they'll be kind of that considered a team that, hey, this team can really fight for the playoffs. Ryan, Sam Darnold has the weight of the world on his shoulders right now. Everyone's already penciled him in for the number one draft pick. Everyone's already penciled in for the Heisman. And then he comes out week one and, like, he throws two interceptions and, and everyone acts like, you know, he's he's a bum all of a sudden. I'm, I'm curious what your take is on him. You know, was, is, is he overhyped heading into the season? Is that Was that performance maybe a little better than people realized? Just sort of give me a, a Sam Darnold kind of status report on, on just how you see him right now in terms of a national context. Yeah, we talked to him yesterday, and he felt after the game that he didn't play very well. Then he looked at the film. He's like, you know, it wasn't as bad as I thought. And Clay Helton said he's usually his harshest critic. It was a strange offseason, guys. I mean, you know, he's thrown at least two touchdown passes during that nine-game winning streak. The only time he didn't throw a touchdown pass was in his first start in the loss to Utah. So this was kind of a repeat of that. Obviously, they won the game. They were running the football a lot better. Um, He had a bunch of drops, I think. You know, at least three or four drops that we saw up there. That. Yeah, yeah. One of the interceptions was just a really great play, and they, you know, threw to a guy that's a converted quarterback. I'm not sure why you're throwing that guy a jump ball, but there, I think there were some questionable decisions. I think he kind of came out of the gate, and you know, this was his first time ever starting the, the season opener. He he mentioned that yesterday as well. Uh, I kind of think we'll see a little bit more of what he can do uh, against Stanford. Uh, you know, he still threw for you know a good amount of yards. It's still a, a highly efficient uh, day, you know, even with the drops there. But it wasn't the Sam Darnold we saw in the Rose Bowl, where he was just running out of the pocket and making plays and finding guys uh, downfield. I think that you know Deontay Burnett's going to be his kind of security blanket. They need to bring on some of these younger receivers. I, you know, you Barton, you've covered Tyler Vaughn's. He was a five-star receiver. You don't see a yeah. lot of those guys red shirt when they come in he did and i think he kind of needed that to make the transition to high from high school to college he high points everything he's a great you know we saw him get one catch in that game um i feel like he's got to get in the rotation more they started a bunch of veterans that maybe not aren't as dynamic as some of the younger guys but i think once he gets a feel for them and it's going to be a trial by fire because stanford has a great secondary i think he'll he'll start getting a lot better at that well i want to follow up on the receivers because Man, I mean, they've recruited so well at receiver. So there's, I mean, you you feel like they should have a really at least talented receiving core. Um, are they just? Are they not quite ready yet? Are they? Are they gonna, you know, explode here midseason and start balling? Or is it? Are they maybe overhyped? Like I'm, where? What? How good is this receiving group? Like how? What are? What should our expectations be for this wide receiving group? Yeah, I think it's really right now they have uh, Stephen Mitchell and Jalen Green, who, you know, Jalen Green's a former quarterback that's moved around a little bit. Those guys are the more veterans, and they've listed them as starters with Deontay Burnett. Tyler Vaughn's came in and got the second, you know, the most uh, reps after those three guys. And we see like a Joseph Lewis, who's another five-star guy, who he's a true freshman. He had probably had his best practice and practice yesterday. Uh, he got the most work. Uh, we talked to T. Martin last night, and he said, yeah, he's going to get a lot more work. So I think this week, Barton, you're going to see more Tyler Vaughn's five-star guy, more Joseph Lewis, five-star guy, you know, true freshman. So redshirt freshman and true freshman, maybe they didn't trust them kind of going out of the gate. I think you're going to have to get them more reps because those guys can do things. They're a lot more dynamic. And there's a you know bunch of other guys, too. Michael Pittman's a, another former guy who's been out for the last couple of weeks with a, a high ankle sprain. He's the only one of the group last year that didn't redshirt. He's the, the true freshman last year that played. So I think he would kind of get in the mix a little bit. And Avelis Jones, or Velas Jones, uh, you know, he's from Alabama. He's probably their best deep threat. They got to kind of get him untracked a little bit. He's got the you know best breakaway speed. I'd like to see some kind of plays downfield to him. So they got to work in some of these younger guys. I think Sam Darnold feels fairly comfortable with them, but it's just it just didn't feel like the offense was a finished product yet. So we you know we'll get into Stanford obviously and 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 the matchup there. But before we do, this is sort of a this can kind of help segue into it maybe because. One of the areas that seemed to be lacking in that in that first game is just 
you know, their stoutness up front maybe is like Western Michigan, they moved the football pretty well on the ground. Like they, that offensive line was impressive. Um, I don't know that that was necessarily on my radar coming into the season as like an area of concern for USC in terms of like front seven uh, physicality is, is it was that on your radar? And is that something, I mean, certainly Sanford's about to bring, uh, you know, five offensive linemen and an extra offensive tackle and three tight ends and, you know, all kinds of, you know, power football at them. Um, what, what's your impression on, on just sort of where USC is at up front coming off that, off that uh, Western Michigan performance? Yeah, they were not happy with the performance there. Now, if you look at Western Michigan, I think their left tackle is going to be like a top 10 NFL pick. They have a really good offensive line. They're coming back and a couple good running backs. They they you know missed their their best receiver, best couple receivers, and obviously obviously their quarterback. So you felt like they were going to be able to run the football a little bit. Maybe not as well as they did. Certainly, they had a lot of success. A quarterback has never thrown a pass before. You kind of have to box, you know, line up against the run. That's been the kind of question more on the scheme for me. Uh, they played nickel most of the game, and it was because that Western Michigan would line up with three wide receivers. But they were almost exclusively running the football, and USC had two down defensive linemen. So you got two linemen with their hands on the ground, and everyone else kind of standing up. It just didn't seem like the right fit. Maybe they weren't showing a whole lot. I'm not sure. We did see last year when they played Stanford, a lot of packages that were more jumbo. They brought in more defensive linemen, but over the, the course of their nine game winning streak, they, I think it was 93%. They were playing nickel. So that Clancy Pendergast, the defensive coordinator likes to get speed on the field. Sometimes when you get a power matchup, that speed isn't matching up well. And, I, and it didn't look like it did against Western Michigan. They have to kind of get better up front. Uh, we saw Porter Gustin, who's an absolute beast, but, you know, sometimes he takes wrong angles. Sometimes he's crashing in inside and the, doesn't get contained on the quarterback. Um, I'm curious to see what this front is going to look like. Because Stanford's, uh, they have five-star offensive linemen across the board. They always seem to be recruit really well. Uh, they know they're going to have to play better. I think there was a little more chippiness in practice last night from what they were, from what we were seeing with the defensive players. They didn't like the way they got pushed around there. Can they turn it around one week? I'm not really sure. But to me, that's going to be the key when USC faces Stanford. they got to be better up front. They can't get pushed backwards like they get against the Broncos. What are you expecting to see from Stanford? Because the that first game against Rice out in Australia, uh, certainly Im- impressive statistically, and you know they were going up against a much inferior opponent. And uh, you know you get you get Bryce Love in there, and he gets a whole lot of work. He gets to shine a little bit. But when they start to face uh, some much tougher competition coming up against the Trojans, what about this Stanford team? Do you think you're going to learn? Uh, and what are you expecting to see? Man, they, they were really impressive. So I, you know, uh, I didn't think they were going to cover. There was a thirty-something point spread. I didn't think they were going to cover it. They covered it easily. They played Rice at the end of last year, and you just felt like David Shaw would just do enough to win, but it wasn't going to be this glamorous performance. Well, it was a glamorous performance. They hadn't scored sixty-two points since nineteen sixty-eight, and Bryce Love. Everyone knows. I mean, he's when you saw him last year when Christian McCaffrey was out, he's just special player. You saw that again. Um, and then, you know, they got Cameron Scott, who's a junior running back. He had three touchdowns on the ground, too. So you know that this team is going to be able to run the football. They got big receivers. Uh, I think someone Barton covered, uh, Colby Parkinson. Yeah. He's a Southern California kid. Man, he looked. He had a couple of touchdowns in this game. I just, You saw, I think it was at the, it might have been at the opening or something, Barton. I was watching him like, man, that's a perfect Stanford player. Like, he's just going to go, yeah. <laughs> just tear it up. And, you, you know, it gets two touchdowns in his first game. Uh, so you know that's going to be a good thing. So I think, and I was the only, so at the Pac-12 Media Day, guys, like I was the only person that picked Stanford to win the North. Everybody else picked Washington. So I felt pretty good after that first game. Now it's Rice, so we don't really know. It's in Australia. I mean, that you know, there's a, a zillion X factors in that game. But I think this is a really interesting matchup. And for USC to be favored by seven just seems like a whole lot of points. Like I would That take surprised Stanford. me too. Like, did, were, yeah. were you shocked by that? Yeah, I thought, I mean, I was thinking it was more, I think it started four and it went up to seven. Yeah. I was thinking more of like a pick them. Uh, yeah, when I do my picks, I'm, t- I'm taking Stanford from the points. I think USC can win, is probably going to win a close game. It's just kind of my gut feeling, but that's a lot of points. They, this is a really impressive David Shaw team, guys. And I think, uh, I mean, if they win this game, I mean, they'll. I think they'll turn switch into be the favorite in the Pac-12 North. But the North is stacked. And Stanford just looked a lot better in, the, in week one. It's Rice, but they still look better than I thought. So that's why I was like, whoa, this team is really good. They really can cont- uh, contend and and beat Washington. You know, they got crushed by Washington last year. Now they get Washington at home. So that could be a big revenge game for David Shaw. 
On paper, uh, the USC running back room is very exciting. The production in the first game, a lot on Ronald Jones. I, lo- I love Ronald Jones. I've been just a Ronald Jones fanboy. I love the way he plays. Love watching Ronald him. Ronald Jones podcast here. Yeah, this is we've we've had we've been mentioning Ronald Jones probably five times in the last couple of shows. This is but like beyond there is is this a, a USC rushing attack that you think the Trojans will be able to lean on, for example, to put a game away uh, against a, a good team like Stanford with a solid defense? Yeah, I think they might have to even at in some points this season. So the offensive line, they lost three guys to the NFL, but really only one of them made a made a roster, a couple guys on practice squads. It's a but every guy on the offensive line still has at least one or two starts under their belt. Um, it's a more athletic group. So I thought, and I thought they would do a pretty good job run blocking, which they did Saturday, maybe not as good of a job pass blocking. There was a few busts, but, um, I think when you got Ronald Jones and we've seen another five-star guy, Stephen Carr emerge, he had a 52 yard touchdown run in that game. He had a couple touchdowns as a true freshman electric. We saw him all through camp. I mean, we saw him all through his high school career too, but him, you know, him and Najee Harris, both on the West coast were these two studly running backs. And, you know, one went to Alabama, one went to USC. I think he's going to be the number two back and, and Ronald Jones, you know, looks like a 1500 yard uh, running back himself. So I think those two guys and, and really uh, Dylan McCullough comes in from Indiana as the running back coach and USC's had this horrible nepotism when it's come to coaching hires. I don't, I mean, I, I don't, I question a lot of what they've done in this case. They need, they lost their uh, running backs coach. They needed to replace one. So it was the only coach on the r- roster that left. Uh, they needed to get somebody. They go out and get a guy that has no ties to USC at Indiana, put three guys in the NFL. So he, he recruited well and developed well at Indiana. So with Indiana putting running backs in like Auburn isn't into the NFL, you know this guy's doing something right. And uh, Clay Helton talked about him last night saying Coach McCullough has been a huge addition. He's the best running back coach he's been around. So I think that's a process of, hey, just don't hire someone that has ties to USC. Just hire a good running back coach. They did that. They put on weight. Ronald Jones put on 10 or 15 pounds. They're running. Uh, he calls it running through trash. So it's not just hitting the hole and getting and getting tackled. Once you get hit, they want to t- they want to drag guys and, and take them for extra yards. And they all have been doing that. So I think it's been a really impressive offseason for the running back. So they're going to be even a little bit better than I thought they would. Well, elsewhere, uh, as you take a look at the the teams beyond USC on this schedule, we've I've I feel like I am uh, almost doing a disservice to USC by mentioning this too much in my preseason predictions. But the schedule, the buy at the end of the season, 12 straight weeks, the challenge to be mentally focused through all of it. Where, as you're looking down the schedule, do you think that you're, you're circling these games and you're like, okay, this is the one that they're going to need to be able to win to clinch the South, or this is the one they're going to need to be able to remain in the top four of the playoff rankings or to get into the top four of the playoff rankings? Because, I mean, no breaks. That's, uh, it's, it's a strange thing, a strange draw that USC has gotten, but it is their challenge in a season with title expectations. It is. And, you know, and I think some of the lack of physicality you saw in game one might be a process of that where they know they don't have a break and they weren't hitting as much towards the end of fall camp where maybe they should have. So you might have already seen some of that uh, residue of not having a buy kind of creep its head, you know, creep up in uh, in the first game there. And I think they've kind of realized that, hey, we can't worry about this kind of stuff. But if they're able to get through the first three games, and I think, you know, the Stanford game has always been the key for me. They've lost Seven or last ten to Stanford. I mean, Stanford's been such a successful program. Uh, that I mean, that one's a key. But it's it's ironic that they can still win the Pac-12 and they can still go to the playoff if if you just lose that game. Because if they're able to to you know go eleven and one with the loss to Stanford, make it to the uh, conference championship game and beat like a Stanford or a Washington, you know, if they're twelve and one with that one loss in, in week number two, they're likely going to be a playoff team anyway. So I, it's maybe you know the Stanford game to me is most, the most important, but in some cases, if they're able to get their stuff together and run the table, it's really not as important. But I think you know Texas doesn't look as good, but that's one of those marquee games everyone's going to be watching. You want to be able to to win that one. Um, play, you know, the Washington state game is on a Friday night. They go on the road at Cal, which looked a lot better against North Carolina in week one. Justin Wilcox got a couple of really good coordinators. He brought in there as a young head coach. So that Cal game is probably not going to be as easy as you thought. And then they got to go six days rest, uh, on a Friday night and play up in Pullman, which isn't going to be uh, all that easy. And then playing on the road at Notre Dame in week eight is certainly going to be a tough one. Uh, and I think, you know, at Colorado, in week 11, they won 10 games last year and then, you know, finishing off with UCLA. We're not sure what kind of shape the team is going to be in that. But there's certainly a few kind of roadblocks there along the way. 
and maybe some something you didn't expect. Like we didn't expect Cal to be that good. Who knows? Maybe they they go off on the road and and lose in Berkeley. I'm not sure. But those are kind of the the main ones, guys. I think I would look at. Uh, but this team's got to play. I don't think this team is good enough to take any kind of weeks off. Uh, I think just about anyone can can you know come up and beat them if USC's not playing well and whoever they play does play well. So one of the as we were looking before the season, one of the you know, looking for maybe weaknesses or, or um, vulnerabilities. One of the spots that caught my eye for USC is depth at quarterback. And I mean, obviously, a lot of teams are screwed if their quarterback goes down. But I, I wasn't super confident in what's behind Sam Darnold in case he does get banged up or, you know, gets a, you know, gets a an ankle, yeah, little, an little sprained or, ankle, you know, just something that keeps him out for a week or something to keep to for, for the backup to keep keep things afloat am i what's the read on the backups has jack sears uh, emerged at all is is matt fink better than maybe i am giving him credit for what happens if sam darnold heaven forbid uh gets dinged up a little bit mid-year i think if he gets dinged up you're talking about trying to make a bowl not trying to make the playoff wow like, that big <laughs> like that big of a drop off i mean i think that the rest of the team around him is good like they could have beat you know a western michigan without him I don't think you're beating a Stanford or at Notre Dame or you know any of those games that we kind of mentioned. Right. Uh, I think Matt Fink got better. Uh, he ended up you know redshirting last year. He's the clear number two guy. He's taking the number two reps. Um, Jack Sears is you know was Sam Darnold's backup at San Clemente and a really athletic kid. All those guys can run, um, but he just didn't. You know, it's going to take him a little time. He he needs to redshirt this year, so he's running the scout team right now. So it will be the Matt Fink show if something happens to Sam Darnold. I think he's been fine. I think he's he's definitely got better. Sometimes the ball comes out a little weird. It just doesn't look as pretty when he throws the football. And you know, sometimes it's good, but it's just not. It's not been consistently there. Uh, the offense is going to change a lot. They will rely on the running game a lot more, and he'll be kind of a you know zone read stuff, play action pass, doing what he can without you know relying on him to make these down the field plays where he's scrambling for his life and finding someone for a chunk play downfield like Sam Darnold can do. They're not going to ask Matt Fink to do that, but I just don't think you know. Sam Darnold is such an eraser of any kind of mistakes. And we've seen this team make a lot of mistakes and still be able to overcome them. I just don't think you're going to overcome a lot of those mistakes with Matt Fink. If the if the rest of the team was just so much more sound, I think it would help. But it's not like in Alabama yet. It's just not that place. It's going to be Sam Darnold's going to save this team a, a number of times this year, I would think. So without him, guys, I just don't think you're going to you're going to talk about that kind of season where it's a, a top 25 program. All right. Uh Score prediction for the Stanford game, record prediction for the regular season. Ooh, rough. Okay, um, <laughs> let's see. So I'll go I, – I kind of think USC is going to win a close one, um, maybe like a 31-28 sort of, sort of affair. Um, but like I said, I, I don't think they would cover – I mean, they, they certainly could. I don't think anything would happen this game would surprise me if USC blows them out, Stanford blows them out, close game either way. But I'll pick it to, to be like a 31-28 sort of thing with – um, USC coming out on top, and for the season, I think they're going to lose at least a game. So I'm, I'm kind of going with 11 and one right now, and they'll they'll make it to the Pac-12 championship game. Um, I can see four losses on the schedule really easy, you know, just depending on how things roll out. But I kind of feel like this team is going to get better from last week. There's a little overreaction. Uh, they'll come back and, and beat Stanford, and then kind of get on a roll. But you know, we'll see. Like I said, just about anything can happen. But that's kind of my gut feeling, guys. Like of how this is going to go. Well, Western Michigan's going to go beat Michigan State at 11 a.m. And then by the time <laughs> by the time Stanford USC kicks, everybody's going to get back on board and realize, hey, that wasn't such a bad win after all. I think it's funny when you do that early in the season. You're like, oh, how good is that team? And you're kind of rooting for him or whatever you're like seeing what's happening across right. the country like and it doesn't always work that way like you know rice traveled you know 15,000 miles or whatever to go play in australia maybe they go on a run and they play pretty well <laughs> it's just terrible when they went to australia i mean just it's just so hard to tell it's di- these teams are different every week you know that like people act like they're the exact same team they change from week to week let alone from year to year yeah uh he is ryan abraham you can follow him on on Twitter at Inside Troy. Uh, he is the USC expert, owner and publisher of uscfootball.com. And thank you so much for uh, joining the 24 7 Sports College Football Podcast. This was fun. Chip Barton, thanks so much. It was a lot of fun to be on your show. Okay, so right after we finished recording, uh, Ryan did request that we bring back Camp Buzz. So we'll go ahead and transition on into Brandon Marcello with a little Camp Buzz. Players that are making a buzz. Camp, camp, buzz. Camp, camp, buzz. 
Camp, Camp Buzz. Talking about players that are buzzing. Going to the phone lines now, bringing on Brandon Marcella, 24-7 Sports. Uh, Brandon, Auburn got out, had one of those wins where uh, you put a big number on the scoreboard, Coach comes back with a long list of things that we're ready to work on. Some stuff was sloppy, but you saw some encouraging uh, spots, particularly on the offensive side of the ball against the Georgia, Georgia Southern team that has really taken a step back over here over the last couple of years. Uh, Auburn and Clemson, one of the highlight matchups in a loaded week, too. Um, when you were watching the Georgia Southern game, and if you've rewatched it, was there anything from that performance that really surprised you about the 2017 edition of the Tigers? Something that maybe you weren't expecting, given everything that you had seen or heard so far in camp? Yeah, I actually kind of thought that they would uh, throw the ball a little bit more and and do so down the field. Uh, they might be doing that for Clemson this week. Maybe they're just holding back, but they threw deep a couple times. Uh, None of those passes really results in anything. Um, One was just dropped. But uh, other than that, it seemed to be a pretty conservative game plan. You could see some mixes of new offensive coordinator Chip Lindsey's passing schemes in there, but not a whole lot. I mean, if you wanted to compare this offense and the play calling the last season to this year, you know, it's pretty comparable. But I think going into Clemson, they're going to change some things up things that they've been working on throughout preseason camp they've yet to unveil that kind of surprised me more than anything um and uh i I thought that they would show a little bit of their hand just so they can get some you know live reps out there with jared stidham who you know a quarterback who hasn't played in 600 plus days to kind of loosen him up but we didn't quite see it felt like there was a little rust did you i mean was was uh in terms of stidham and and kind of give grade his performance if you would yeah, I, I thought there was some, some rust there. He finished 14 of 24, about 185 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. He was sacked on the on the blind side. It wasn't his fault. The uh, running back, Kerryon Johnson, was unable to get to the blitzer and, and uh, led to a strip fumble and uh, scoop and score for Georgia Southern for their only touchdown. But um, you know, I, I thought he looked accurate at times. I think the problem he ran into was he held onto the ball way too long. And he was able to do that at times against Georgia Southern because it's Georgia Southern, but they still got to him. Um, he was sacked a couple times. He can't do what he did Saturday night, this upcoming Saturday night against Clemson, holding onto the ball as long as he did. And I think that was just a, a product of, one, not playing in almost two years, and two, he's been going through practices at Auburn since mid-December, and he's not once been tackled. They have not tackled him. He's pretty much been playing against air sometimes with his receivers. You know, even if the pass rush is coming at him, he knows he's not going to get hit. So I think he felt a little bit too comfortable back there, if you know what I mean. Um, and, it, and it took a couple of hits for him to kind of shake the cobwebs off. He even mentioned that. Um, so maybe he's got it out of the system. I think holding onto the football is something that can easily be corrected, and Gus Malzahn agreed with that when I was asking about it earlier this week. Um, so we'll see, uh, you know, week two usually – Teams make a big jump from week one to week two with their uh, their execution, and uh, I think Auburn's really counting on that with Jared Stidham. The other area I was hoping you would uh, kind of give your evaluation on is because we know, I mean, defense was unbelievable. I mean, what the, I think Georgia Southern had like seventy eight yards of offense or something. Like I, I think we can go, um, you know, we can check that off. They're they're pretty good on defense, um, and you know, maybe receivers is is an area where some playmakers could step up but I, I what I've been told in the scouting report of Auburn is is as long as that offensive line gels they're going to be really good um so yeah. I'm curious your, your take on the the if in that statement like is that offensive giant going to gel what did you think of them in week one I there's it was a mixed bag you know Prince take a to go uh super talented a guy they believe is gonna be the NFL at some point it was his first start at left tackle he did some good things. He also struggled a couple times. Uh, Darius James at uh, right tackle struggled more than I expected. Um, I, I thought he would do a much better job there. So your two end spots there, there there were some hiccups. Braden Smith was just perfect, pitch perfect at right guard. Austin Golson did well at center. Mike Horton did very well at left guard, really, in his first extended start of his career. 
Um, they, they've got to gel together. And what you've seen in the past from Gus Malzahn teams is that, like, it takes three, four weeks for the offense as a whole, including the offensive line, to kind of gel. Um, even last season, if you remember, Auburn gave up a lot of tackles for loss in the first couple weeks of the season. And then they were, it was like the complete opposite in the final, like, nine games of the season. They did something – whether it was just the team gelling or they switched things up offensively. I think it was just the team gelling. But you can see the same thing kind of happening with this offensive line is that they're struggling, you know, a little bit early. And uh, that that could raise some question marks, especially going to Clemson with a very good defensive line led by Dexter Lawrence. If Auburn hasn't cleaned that up, you know, going into week two, it could be a long night. So if you're an Auburn fan, you're hoping – this idea that it takes a few weeks to gel together as an offense uh, happens more quickly than it has in the past. We've got some uh, some injury concerns in the Auburn backfield. Carry uh, on Johnson, Gus Malzahn not providing a whole lot of updates so far. You know, Cameron Petway. Uh, supposedly we think he's going to be fresh and ready to go. Um, where are you grading and how do you think that this Auburn ground attack is going to be able to perform? You just mentioned it against one of the best defensive lines in the entire country. Yeah, that's going to be the key. One of the big keys for them. I think Cameron Petway will be ready. He's fresh. He's ready. He's faster than he was last season. I think he's, I think he's chomping at the bit to get out there, to be honest. Um, the question is, is who plays behind him? Carryon Johnson was his backup. It looks like it's going to be Cam Martin, who actually rushed for 136 yards and a touchdown against Georgia Southern. Very fast guy, but not the type of guy who's going to break tackles. It's just not his style or his strength as a result of his build. But they've they've got options in the backfield. It's just that Auburn wants to be able to rely on Cameron Petway to one wear defenses down, run between the tackles, but also use his speed to break through the linebackers. He's a type of player where I've heard opposing players straight up say that they get sick of trying to tackle him. Um, you know, the, I remember the Ole Miss game hearing things like that from the Ole Miss players. So uh, that's what they're trying to count on at Clemson is they're going to be able to try to wear down this defensive line. They might not have success in the first quarter or even first two quarters in the first half, but they believe that they can be able to try and wear them down and get some bigger plays in the run game there in the second half. If they can tenderize with Petway a little bit, who's who's going to be the guy that makes the big play in the pass game? Like, who's who's the receiver? Uh, who's the guy that they're going to go to? I think they've got two, and it's Nate Craig Myers and Kyle Davis. Uh, Nate Craig Myers played, like, almost 50 snaps against Georgia Southern, wasn't targeted once, um, which I found very interesting. Um, Kyle Davis, he returns from suspension, He's a guy that could really stretch the field for them and do some different things, multiple things in the passing game. But he missed all of spring practice, was just completely out of the system, returned to campus in the summer, and I, I wonder where he is at, really. Gus Malzahn says he's going to be a big part of the game plan, but I think it's those two guys that they'd really count on. And then players who make something happen after the catch, Ryan Davis and Will Hastings, they did that against Georgia Southern. A lot of crossing routes, a lot of drag routes things of that sort, that in slants that you haven't seen before in Gus Malzahn's system a lot. And those were things Chip Lindsey really brought in to really get those guys open and make things happen if a catch. And as a result, those were the two players who had touchdowns. Where are you looking at this Auburn defense and feeling really confident, not just uh, maybe not even going into to the Clemson game, but as as we're starting to take Auburn seriously as a team that could challenge Alabama in the West, uh, and if they're able to get this Clemson win, all of a sudden has like as good of a non-conference win as you could possibly have in terms of being able to make your case to the selection committee. We spent a lot of time talking about Stidham and the ground attack, but this Auburn defense you know, incredibly talented. I think that a lot of people are just uh, given a check mark. Take us, take us into into the depth here, into the strengths and weaknesses. Um, what do you think is going to stand out about that unit uh, as we start to learn more and more about them? Certainly against Clemson, but also over the next couple weeks. Uh, the def- defensive line is just so so good and so deep. I mean, against Georgia Southern, you know, obviously that's that's a much different talent plane for. Auburn going against, but uh, 
the, all the plays are TFLs or sacks. It could have been one of either one of two or three other players because they were all in the backfield. It's just a matter of who was the first one to touch the quarterback or the running back. It was very impressive. I mean, they terrorized them all night in the backfield. And it was multiple players. It wasn't just one. And that's what they were expecting going into this season. They've got five and four-star guys all throughout that line, guys that have been waiting their turn. And, and a guy that's really impressive to me is Jeff Holland. He's a player highly rated coming out of high school, kind of waited his time, was playing behind Carl Lawson at the buck position, which is their hybrid linebacker slash defensive end who stands up and rushes the passer. His first extended action as a starter, and he was exceptional. Plus, you got Marlon Davidson as a true defensive end on the other side. The super sophomore who really came on the scene as a true freshman last season, first true freshman in the modern era of Auburn football to start along a defensive line, did a very good job last season. He seems to have taken a, a, a step up as well. Um, that's the strength. But going to this Clemson game, they're going strength against strength because Clemson's offensive line is one of the most experienced in all of college football. So you might have a bit of a stalemate there, and that's going to be fun to watch just to see which unit cracks first, which part of that line in the trenches cracks first. Is it Clemson? Is it going to be Auburn? Auburn's weakness, I believe, is going to be in the secondary somewhere. They obviously weren't tested against Georgia Southern. They've got some depth issues there, but the coaches continue to say they feel good about what the players they have. But I wonder how they'll react on the road, playing against an explosive Clemson offense that likes to stretch the field, and they're going to do so really for the first time since the Sugar Bowl back in January, having to face an offense that throws the ball more than eight times a game and does so beyond the line of scrimmage. So those, those secondary members need to wake up, make sure they're awake for this game, because uh, they're helping out a lot with the run and coming up to the line against Georgia Southern. And this is going to be quite the uh, uh, culture shock for them when they go to Clemson and have to start doing something else. Where are you at with this game? What are your expectations? I mean, yeah. what, what? I mean, I, I don't know. If we're ready for the prediction yet, Chip? But uh, what? Just you know, talk. No, through no. Let's get into it, man. This is the big, the game of the week, man. Let's let's get it. It's it's a. I, I'm expecting a just a back and forth heavyweight fight. I, I think these teams are going to go after each other. They're it's going to be one of those things where early on, you know, you're going to get some body shots. You're going to be filling each other out, circling each other, and then they're, you're going to have one big play. And the other team's going to go. Okay, I've got something for you. One big play. I think it's going to. It has the potential to be not only the game of the weekend, but one of the, the games you look back throughout the season. And go, man, that was a fun game to watch. It had some good defense. It had some good offensive moments. Both teams evenly matched, in my opinion. I've long said that I think this game will come down to whoever the better quarterback is because I think that they're pretty even other other spots. As I mentioned, Clemson's offensive line is so good. Auburn's defensive line is so good. I think that it's going to be one of those things where it's just which quarterback makes the big plays in the second half to lead their team down the field. I, I have been leaning toward Auburn because I thought Auburn had the better quarterback, but after watching Kelly Bryant, it just seems like Clemson just keeps chucking along no matter who the quarterback is. Yeah. And man, he was impressive in the limited time he has. So I, I'm, 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 I think this game's a flip of the coin. To be quite honest, if it was played at neutral side, it would definitely be a flip of the coin. But at Clemson, I think you got to give them the edge right now. I mean, obviously they're ranked higher, but I, I, I'm not looking too much into rankings at this point in the season. You look at the matchups. I'm telling you guys, this this could be not only a very good game, but one we're talking about for a couple couple of weeks because I think just on paper the way these teams match up there's going to be some stalemates and it's going to be one of those games where a play or two there is going to end up breaking the game open so Brandon I you know I agree like that's that's it's almost striking how similar these teams look at the mirror image of them in terms of their strengths and the one area where I I don't have a good grasp is when I do look at because I asked you who the playmakers were at receiver 
But I look at the, like I know those guys can make plays at Clemson, and I don't really know yeah. that they can at Auburn only because they've like last year they didn't really have a quarterback that gave them an opportunity to go be guys. Um, do you have, have confidence that the skill set offensively on the perimeter for Auburn is can match up or, or yeah. can be sort of equal as, as those guys they've got at, at Clemson? That's a great question, and I didn't quite see it against Georgia Southern. Um, though there were times receivers were getting open and Jared Stidham just wasn't seeing them, which is a concern. And that goes back to him holding on the ball too long. Not only was he holding on to the ball too long, but he had guys open and he just wasn't throwing it and he would take off running. He's got to be able to see those guys downfield. Um, the receivers also have to do a better job of getting open. Uh, they have got all the talent in the world of receiver. Most of them are sophomores now, but they haven't stepped up. They haven't been those go-to guys. But I think getting Kyle Davis back and knowing what Nate Craig Myers can do, and then we saw what they did with the two smaller receivers and Will Hastings and Ryan Davis this past week, I think they're setting things up to open things up a little bit more at Clemson. It's now up to those receivers to step up and make those plays. I think the one thing that would be concerning just from what you saw with your naked eye was Darius Slayton, uh, one of the older receivers. They went to him quite a bit, and he dropped a pass, fumbled one, and then uh, dropped another pass that was deep down the field, was on the money, in traffic, and he dropped it. Um, you can't do that on the road and and win a football game at Clemson. You've got to convert those those plays, but more than anything, I think it showed that Auburn's capable of making those plays, whereas the last two years, I don't think you could have said that. Did you get a chance to watch Alabama-Florida State at all? Uh, barely. That game was going on as Auburn was playing, so I caught just a little bit of it. But uh, it went as I expected. I kept being told that that defensive line of Alabama was going to absolutely eat up uh, Florida State's offensive line and gets the quarterback. And uh, you guys tell me, I guess that's kind of what happened. Well, I, I ask in the context, oh, yeah, 100%, but I ask in the context of uh, a, a season long measuring stick. I mean, when we see an Auburn team that we believe can knock Alabama from this perch atop the SEC West, and especially with that Iron Bowl being in Jordan Hare this year, I, I kind of feel like I'm. In, at somewhere in my head, I'm just going to be constantly comparing these two teams. And I, I came away from that Florida State game certainly uh, impressed with Alabama and the performance there. But I I found them to be uh, a beatable team. And I was curious about where you thought Auburn stood in terms of measuring these two teams either at this point in the year. And again, it's early. And you mentioned uh, how sometimes with the Gus Malzahn offense, it takes a couple weeks to get rolling. But just how you see the rest of the SEC schedule and the SEC West shaking out. Yeah, it's big. Auburn's got to get rolling, and they got to do so quickly um, offensively. You know, uh, I think the big trap game for them, and people say I'm crazy for this, is Missouri in two weeks. Uh, I know Missouri gave up all the points in the world at Missouri State, but they also scored all the points in the world. Um, I, I think that's going to be a scary game for Auburn. They have to go to Columbia and play Mizzou in two weeks. That's Scott Trap game written all over it. And then, of course, Auburn's got to go on the road to LSU still. They haven't won there since 1999. Uh, that's a humongous game for them. Um, the two Mississippi schools they get at home, so you would think they'd be favored in those games. But there, there are games in there sprinkled in that, that could be troublesome, and that really starts in October when they go – on a three-game road streak uh, to LSU, to Arkansas, and to Texas A&M. Um, and then they come back home, and then they've got Georgia and Alabama. So that, it, that October and November is going to be super, super tough. And so Auburn's got to take care of business in the, in the first month. And if they want to make noise, be part of the playoff conversation, they've got to beat Clemson got to be able to go in and beat Missouri. Um, and as I said, I just think that's a trap game all the way for them. And Auburn can't afford injuries. Um, we've already seen it with on Johnson. 
can't afford an injury at quarterback right now because Sean White suspended the backup. If, if Jared Stidham were to go down at Clemson this weekend, they're going to play a true freshman quarterback and Malik Willis. Talented dual threat guy, but he's a true freshman. So as with any team, they've got to stay healthy to keep their heads up and believe that they can get better throughout the season. But with the talent on board, I think this is the most complete team Gus Malzahn's put together since he's been the head coach. And you just, for his sake, he, he's got to keep them all healthy and keep improving week to week and not fall into these traps that are coming up over these next several weeks after the Clemson game. Oh my gosh, it's going to be so much fun. A heavyweight battle coming up on Saturday night in Death Valley, Auburn and Clemson. He is Brandon Marcello. You can follow him on Twitter at BMarcello, Auburn 24-7. Um, just right there, senior writer and expert. And uh, after today, a friend of the podcast. Brandon, thank you so much, man. We really appreciate it. Thanks, gentlemen. Appreciate it. Anytime. We're getting into specifics. Game breakdown. Specifics. Game breakdown. If they played on a neutral field, you would take them. Breaking down the game. And now it's time to start tackling the lines and tackling the odds. And for that, we are going to go to Micah Roberts from Sportsline. Sportsline, of course, a very integral and important part of the CBS family. Micah, welcome to the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Uh, we've got, I'm sure this is a super exciting time for you because after spending all offseason, uh, you know, trying to project and call some shots on season over under win totals, it, we've got data points now to be able to adjust all of the models. Exactly. And there's some rapid adjustments that we've seen uh, from what we had coming into this season and what has happened. And, and, and we saw a lot of movement already early in the week. And many of it was just based on those adjustments. So, you know, people are down on Baylor, for instance. People are up on Western Michigan. People are up on Louisville, down on North Carolina. And we're seeing the point spreads shuffle in a lot of those games just because, like you mentioned, those rating points have been adjusted. We do have data to go off of. Some teams are worse than we thought, but we don't want to be too – you know, overblown. I mean, you got to trust your initial ratings, but you got one game to go off of right there. So that's the dilemma here for the sports books and the betters as they go into week two here. What about you as an expert? What was, uh, let's, let's start with one team that when you saw the performance, it was far different from what you expected and maybe one of the biggest adjustments in, in your own uh, rating system of the college football scene. Uh, um, and I expect Texas to be a lot better this week and moving forward under Tom Herman. I know he's catching a lot of heck down there. And, and it, it's crazy, the Texas program, the expectations every year. I just think they're not obtainable. I, I mean, really, uh, other than Vince Young, I mean, when has Texas football been that relevant since Earl Campbell left? It just isn't. And there's these unreal expectations of people thinking Texas should be um, better than they are. But anyway, uh, that, that California Going into North Carolina, that was a big up. And, and we thought there'd be a big drop-off with the new quarterback the last two years. We've seen him score 37 points a game and 38 points a game with Jared Goff. And uh, who's the other? Davis Webb. And so you're like, well, he, this guy can't possibly come in and score 37 a game. He scores 35 on the road, 2,800 miles away at Chapel Hill. Very impressive. And I don't think Carolina is going to be that bad. I just think they got surprised and – Obviously, when you lose, you know, the number one pick in the draft, you can expect uh, the quarterback position to suffer a little bit. Um, what else was there? Michigan, uh, the defense, you know, I had been saying I had him low on my rating point just because of losing 10 starters from that awesome defense last year. And they came in and absolutely dominated Florida's offense. And granted, the quarterbacking and the indecision – um, I thought they waited too long with the quarterback change there. Uh, but beside the point, Michigan just did not let them do anything. And that surprised me. And they got like a point and a half, two point upgrade just because of how good their defense looked um, and how fast they looked. I mean, they really looked like LSU or, or Bama or uh, Ohio State type defense, just really attacking super athletes. Obviously, uh, Jim Harbaugh has his uh, four or five star uh, recruits stacked up, ready to go. And that was that was a question mark I had. And they answered it pretty uh, resoundingly. So, Mike, I, I want to go 
sort of in a similar line, you know, every year we see sort of, I guess, false negatives, you know, early in the season. A team will, will lay an egg, uh, sleepwalk through the opening game, uh, have some injuries, what have you, make some adjustments. And, and that poor performance isn't an indicator for the rest of the year. So, I mean, there's a couple of those. You, you mentioned them, you know, like Baylor was one that didn't live up to expectations. You know, I thought Northwestern is a team that could, could win the West in the Big Ten, and they, they messed around and almost lost to Nevada. Um, you know, are, are there any teams, you know, after that opening week that you'll look at and say, look, throw the first week out, forget it, you know, s- stay the course because this team is, is, is going to be better than they showed week one? Uh, I think one right off the bat, I mentioned LSU, BYU, they, they just couldn't match up with the speed. I mean, they could not get anything going uh, sideline to sideline. LSU is just too fast. And they proved it out there. But I think BYU, you know, they, I think they've lost six straight to Utah. And um, I think um, Mag- Mangum was around for the first one. Not really. No, but he, he's like, <laughs> like 27 years old. I expect him to play extremely well. And you've got Utah. They uh, have their quarterback back. But they only return uh, eight or nine starters uh, completely so that I don't expect the defense to be as good, but I expect BYU to play better here. But people on the other side are going the other way with uh, BYU. They opened as a one-point favorite, uh, probably should have been two, and it's been already bet up to, to one and a half on Utah the other way. And a lot of that's just because Utah's beaten them like a drum, um, you know, for the last uh, seven, eight years that they've matched up against each other. Um, but yeah, I think BYU bounces back. They're they're not as bad as they show. They just played a superior defense that is one of the top three, four in the country. So that let's let's go ahead and uh, start with looking ahead to this weekend with the Holy War right there. So it sounds like you are uh, you're looking for BYU to bounce back in a big way, even after uh, you know they they struggled on first and second downs. The comments from Kalani Sataki, like this game, I expect to be close because you know you mentioned it. Utah has won six straight, but most of them have been one score games. These games, you know, bitter rivals. The coaching staffs know each other. But uh, in, a, in what is a toss-up, you think the action is maybe pushing this in the opposite direction of where it should be? Uh, well, no, no, that's what BYU showed. They didn't score anything. And uh, the, the thing I like, though, I, last year, first year as a coach, he came in and just kind of they had a harder like sense about them that I don't remember BYU having in some time. But they, they were tough, and they got involved in games where um, – 18, 16, 20 to 19, and and they played a nice, smooth game. And I think Utah is going to find them in one of those where it comes down, you know, to a final play or, or something. I'm not saying that I would bet BYU in this spot because I think it'll be that close. But if I were looking for something uh, when the total comes out, I would look for under the total here. I, I think it's going to be a grinded out game, and and BYU will play uh, well in Provo. Another line that really jumped out at me when these were released is Missouri uh, laying points at home against South Carolina uh, after they couldn't stop Southeast Missouri, whoever the hell they played last week. I mean, the, meanwhile, South Carolina had a big win against NC State, really looked like mm-hmm. they're, they're legit. It, did that line surprise you at all? Do you think that that's – I mean, what, what am I missing there? Um, and and kind of how do you see that one playing out? It's just you got to wait for another game to play out. I, I think, uh, you know, South Carolina – uh, maybe played it a little uh, above themselves last week. And um, so it's just basically sticking to the ratings there. But it's still, um, you know, you're going you're gonna to probably see movement on it just, just by what you're talking about. Ooh. All right. Well, Georgia uh, has some quarterback issues um, with Jacob Fromm coming in for Jake Eason. They go to South Bend to play Notre Dame. This is a game that because of the high profile programs, I'm sure is going to attract a lot of attention. And this is a game that also for two teams that uh, are a little bit, you know, we've got question marks all over the place. What do you think that we have learned from each team in what was very successful opening wins? And what are you looking for as they play in South Bend? Um, well, first of all, I'll say that Notre Dame, um, while it was a good win, let's not get carried away because Temple lost almost their entire offense. So I, I didn't really expect them to do well, but at the time I didn't trust 
uh, Notre Dame coming off a four and eight season either. So I just take it for what it's worth. And then, uh, yeah, okay. So Temple, they didn't have a lot of uh, offensive players from last year. From the, for Actually, the team that was just amazing against the spread the last two seasons. I mean, Temple was outstanding. So uh, what I'm coming into this game is uh, on a neutral site, uh, Georgia about three points better. Let's go ahead and give uh, Notre Dame – uh, because they're not the better team, but we'll go ahead and give them the benefit of the doubt and say two to three points for home field. So that's basically a pick 'em game. So this game opened up Notre Dame as a six-point favorite, which was a huge over-adjustment with um, quarterback, I can't remember, is it Eason? Yeah. Um, and the, the difference between him and Fromm, and I don't think it's that great, and the betters didn't think it's that great, and we've seen it fall all the way down to four and four and a half because of that. But I think probably even more and that, and, and you got to respect what Georgia has coming in defensively. I mean, they got 10 starters returning. They're, they're, they're stout and uh, they got a lot of speed as well. So um, yeah, Notre Dame's going to be in, in, in for uh, a battle here. And uh, I'm not saying they can't win, but I'm saying Georgia definitely has a better defense, and I think they'll control that pace and tempo. And you should be able to find a, a total around 54, 55 in that game. I would look to go under in there um, with Georgia uh, being conservative offensively. Hey, and you know what, guys? These, these two teams haven't played since 1981. Uh, Herschel Walker was a freshman, scored two touchdowns, 17-10 in the 1981 Sugar Bowl. This was a long the, time yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, this and that was uh that's Georgia's championship. The the thing that totally uh set the stage for expectations that would never be met for the next three decades. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So so let's get to how about the the Pac twelve? I mean, they got a, a monster game out west, Stanford USC. Uh Stanford's or USC's one of those teams that uh, didn't look quite up to expectation in week one, uh, but yet they still open almost a, a touchdown favorite over Stanford. What, what's, what do you see in this game? Um, where's the value between those two? I see uh, Keller Chris being almost unstoppable for Stanford ever since he's been inserted there. They look uh, uh, amazing. They looked amazing, and I, go, I know it's against Rice, but to be able to consistently put points on the board, I mean, in the past, um, with, with some of the Stanford quarterbacks uh, after uh, Andrew Luck, they sometimes they wouldn't look that offensively and not move the ball, but Chris is the real deal. And, and if, if USC doesn't bring their A game uh, like they didn't last week, at least defensively, I was really shocked by that. And not, not to take anything away from Western Michigan, they lost one game last year. Um, they lost a lot of players, but um, – I, I was really disappointed with USD, USC's defense, and that's part of the reason I had them rated so high. I was disappointed by uh, Darnold's performance. Like, after one week, he takes himself out of the Heisman race, and he was the favorite coming into the season. Disappointed by him. Um, the running game was decent, but the defense I was really surprised by. And if they don't come strong here in this game um, – and prepared and ready to fight Stanford, they're going to lose for the fourth straight time to the to the uh, Cardinal. That line um, has that line been moving in USC's yes. direction? No, it, it started out at seven, and it's been it's been dropped to six and a half. But um, I'll, I'll tell you what, my differential between the two teams, uh, I had five points. I think you can give USC three and a half to four for home field advantage. So. Technically, my number would be around uh, nine, eight and a half for this game. Um, but I think there was a conservative nature just because of maybe a little overreaction because of how uh, poorly they played last week, almost getting upset as 28-point favorites. Things look uh, very, very interesting as Ohio State, uh, they, you know, very – uh, widely criticized, widely watched. Everyone was locked in for that Ohio State-Indiana game. Indiana having some, some, some success moving the ball through the air early. Um, for you know, we, we broke this game down before just a, 
you know, Ohio State making some halftime adjustments and then just just having the playmakers, J.K. Dobbins with a terrific debut. They host an Oklahoma team that was nearly mistake-free against UTEP and seven with a hook is a tricky line, Micah. What do you make of this? Well, it is. Um, I have, let's see, the Buckeyes neutral field will say uh, Buckeyes are one and a half point better than Oklahoma. So between last year's beatdown in Norman between um, uh, the hype and every and the perception, uh, you've, you're, you're saying Ohio State's uh, home field is worth six points, and I think that might be a little high, and I think uh, people are betting it down uh, a little bit. It hasn't moved too much. It's, it's decent action on both sides, but seven and a half down to seven, um, and I could, I could actually see six and a half as well once people start – you know, figuring out, you, you know, Oklahoma has not lost a game since losing to Ohio State last year. And they've been focused the whole way. They've covered six straight games uh, going back to last season. They've been quite impressive. So uh, the Buckeyes better not be too overconfident in this game because uh, the Sooners are coming in. Don't, the biggest matchup disparity I have, though, is the Buckeyes offensive line um, coming back super strong. All those guys, four of those five last year's team that just ran anywhere and all the time that they wanted and closed out the game, which is first down after first down, um, buried them on the offensive line. That offensive line is back, and that's that's the one matchup in this game that I think is going to be uh, exposed again. Well, can't let you get out of here without touching on the other big game of the weekend, the, the one more that we, you know, everyone's keeping an eye on is that Auburn-Clemson matchup. Um you know, right now it looks like the line's around five uh, in favor of Clemson at home. Uh, what do you see there with a, a couple of teams breaking in new quarterbacks and, and man, two outstanding defenses? Yeah, no, uh, great defenses and, and a great performance last week by both uh, new quarterbacks, uh, Jared Stidham. Um, not great, but uh, good enough. Get, got a game under his belt, and Kelly Bryant looked good as well. So, um, That'll be interesting to see how that goes. Uh, but the number has fallen a little bit and maybe gone a little way. I, I got a differential. I got Clemson uh, four points better on a neutral field, I think, because of how they've done. Uh, they, they've uh, won, won the last four meetings and uh, three and one against the spread. Um, Auburn got the cover last year. But uh, you could say field at Clemson, I'd give it against Auburn four and a half or so. The spread should probably be seven and a half, eight, eight and a half, somewhere in that range. And it's going the other way. So it's gone from six down to four and a half. A lot of people respecting Auburn. And I, guys, I really thank Auburn. If they can get past this game, they have a chance to really uh, scare the heck out of Alabama when they play at the end of the year and maybe eventually be a playoff team. And I think I, I believe that much in, in uh, Stidham. I believe that much in the Auburn uh, running game. 351 yards last week. I know Georgia Southern isn't a great opponent, but 351, 200-yard rushers in a game, that's impressive stuff. Um, so, yeah, I, I think this is a huge kind of a, a springboard for Auburn to try to get themselves back into a, a national prominence again. Is there any other uh, general line or trend that you saw in uh, on the board right now that you're keeping uh, a close eye on? Something, something that you know you've you've been doing this for a long time, and your expertise is much appreciated here on the Twenty Four Seven Sports College Football Podcast. Like, what's what have you taken a look at, and maybe even you've got you're pausing to wait and see uh, to add another data point about a particular team. Um, well, take uh, Penn State. They've lost the last two years to uh, Pitt, um, but they have covered 10 straight games in a row. Like, the rating has not caught up to them, and that's pretty impressive when a team can keep covering because the idea be- between, you know, the ratings is that every week Las Vegas, once a team starts to get on a roll like that, you see the, the increases. And then this, the point spread always catches up to the team. And in this case with Penn State, it hasn't. They have been underrated in their last 10 games, and they keep exceeding expectations. Um, stuff like that I love. And that, that's what's crazy. Like a team like Alabama last year, they went 10-4 and four against the spread. Now we're talking about 
spreads that are already overinflated by 20 to 25%. And they, they covered 10 of 14 games last year to show just how, you know, awesome they were. Um, better than Vegas expectations. And conversely, a few years ago when Jameis Winston was at Florida State, they had a, a season where they just didn't cover any game. I mean, they, <laughs> they were winning games by two, three points. So they were overrated. Um, but yeah, State's one of those teams that are definitely underrated, and we'll, we'll see how they fare coming up here. And um, one other thing here, like a, a team that I've had – high expectations for this season. Not like, you know, maybe a bowl game is Rutgers just because of uh, wow. Kyle Boland, the kid from uh, Louisville. And they moved the ball last week against Washington. That was just way too many points. But again, in this spot here, they're playing Eastern Michigan and it opened four. I made the game uh, nine and it's been bet up to five. And I made the game nine just because he's a quality quality quarterback that can move the ball and uh, get some first downs. And he looked really sharp in the first half against Washington. He And the crowd was into it. And I think that's going to be the same type of thing uh, this week uh, with them getting a win by uh, 10 points or more. Wow. Wow. He like is, that. Yeah, like that. He is Michael Roberts. You can follow him on Twitter at Michael Roberts 7 um, You bring your expertise. You bring your picks to Sportsline. Sportsline.com so you can go and sign up for subscription uh, and get all of Micah's picks and thoughts on them. Thank you so much, Micah, for joining the 24-7 Sports College Football Podcast. Anytime, guys. It's been great. Thanks. Loaded show. Feel good. Feel good. Got a lot, talked a lot of ball. You feel like you feel like you're ready to give our full breakdowns and picks tomorrow? Well, that's the thing. I, I got my information. I can go back to the lab. I can study up, and I can get ready for tomorrow's show because one over 500 and cutting it um, when when we're trying to deliver winners and and chip uh, below 500 certainly in cutting it for you. We we gotta we gotta get it done tomorrow. I'm bringing in four. I might bring five, but I'm definitely bringing four. Bringing three is not going to get it done. We need bigger swings. You know, we're picking locks. This is uh, this is what this is what the people want. So make sure that you subscribe to the 24/7 Sports College Football Podcast. Uh, we will be running it back with Tom Fernelli on Thursday, and then of course linking back so that we can uh, have our reactions to another weekend's action uh, the next week. Barton, thank you very much. Later.